Hey, can we give it up for the worship team here? I get to uh, I get to go to a lot of campuses, particularly Conway and Little Rock. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, this worship team here, they could be anywhere in our church. They could be anywhere in the world, and, uh, and they, they just do a fantastic job. I love what James said about worship earlier and, uh, and what it does for us. You know, God did not create worship because he was insecure. I need somebody to worship me. Oh, my goodness. I don't even know if I'm God anymore. No. Do you know that God created worship for you? God created worship so that you could be grounded and know what really is the, uh, the, re- the main reality of the world that we live in. And that God is in control. He's sovereign. He's in control and he's the Lord over it all. And sometimes we get off base and we just need to realize and worship. When, when people during COVID uh, come back to church, they finally, the first thing they say is, I didn't realize how much I missed being in the presence of God. You know, it's not to hear you preach, James. I'm sorry, but um, not to hear anybody preach. But I'm telling you, first and foremost, when they walk in, it's those few moments, if we do it right, that, you know, worship can lift our spirit. Isn't that right, y'all? So I just pray that the rest of this service will also lift your spirit. Um, It's great. I was recently and uh, participating within LC College in something that we called like a shark tank. I was a shark. I don't know which one I was. I I think they called me Mr. Wonderful. What I don't know. But uh, so I I was able to to talk to the students about the presentations that they were doing. And one of them got up and had a presentation. And and during it, they mentioned the impact that your pastor, James Bennett, had on their life when they were in cadre. Um, and 24-7 or whatever. And uh, I don't know if you know all about that, but he made everyone do an Iron Man. It didn't matter if you... Uh, no, you made them do it, okay? And so, uh, but they were talking about the impact. Uh, my business partner, I, I do some building in Conway as well on the side, and uh, my business partner was also in Cadre, and a guy that goes, if it weren't for James Bennett, my life wouldn't be the same as it is today. And I, I'm just gonna tell you, that among the pastors of New Life Church, he is held in pretty high regard uh, among us all. And, and I'm just going to tell you, if there was anybody that if times got tough that I would want by my side, it would be your pastor. And I just want to say, would you, thank you. I do appreciate you praying for Pastor Rick. Um, one, we learn a lot about COVID, and one of the things we noticed is that even though we're back to about 35, 40% of attendance, um, there are a lot of also guests in the room that come. It's, it's an amazing thing, and a, a, a disproportionate almost amount of people who come and check out the church during uh, COVID. So it's, you might be here for the first time today. I think I just met somebody who said he's never heard me, so uh, God bless you, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't know what to say. But, um, you know, one thing that we've learned during COVID is that two, two things have been prevalent. As a pastor, the things that we've noticed, and they are fear, and then there are distractions. Fear uh, is something that just kind of uh, causes paralysis. You look at the circumstances around you, you don't know what to do, so you, oh, you know, I just I don't want to do anything, and um, 
and, and it takes your eye off the ball. I even have a pastor friend, not New Life pastor, but I have a pastor friend. He talks about COVID like 10 minutes every sermon. And like, he's like, and y'all gotta watch out for COVID. And like some of the people in this church, he told me, he goes, some of the people are becoming very impatient. And I said, well, maybe you sound fearful. And it's okay to be cautious. It's okay to take precautions. Please wear your mask. Please stay six feet away from me. No, but I'm just saying, you can go too far, don't you think? And being fair, what, one of our campuses, they took a poll and they said that they learned three things. One is that people are praying more during COVID, but they're reading their Bible less. And they said they're watching the news more. Okay, so here what's happening is people, they're not getting the truth from the word of God, the, the perspective they need. They're watching the news, and if the, if the news is bad one day, then they feel bad that day. And if the news is good, well, has the news been good lately? It hasn't been that good lately. So, right? They've been going up and down. They change. And then distractions, let me just tell you this, Satan doesn't have to kill you. All he needs to do is distract you because distraction leads to temptations and people are finding a place. They look, COVID is very disorienting. It leaves like a confusion and a kind of a, 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 a vacuum in your, in your spirit. You don't know what to do. And uh, so you, you just don't know what to do. You, you, um, people are drifting away and they're trying to fill this gap inside their heart by doing pleasure. And let me just tell you something. God created that gap inside of you to be hungry for him because he is the only one that can fill that. It's like a puzzle piece. He is the only one with the right puzzle piece to fit in your heart. But sometimes when we, when we go out and try to do it with pleasure, it's like putting your foot in a bear trap that just won't let go. And that's what we're finding during COVID. Uh, my, I had a COVID experience. Number one, let me just tell you, has anybody flown on an airplane? Okay, not that many of you. But let me just tell you something. You go into the airport, wear the mask, stay six feet away from people. You're in the line. It takes forever to get through the line because you got to stay your six feet, you know, the little X on the ground. Then you get on the airplane, okay? And they're packing every seat. They don't skip a row. They don't skip a seat. You're like this with people. It's like, whatever. And so you're on that plane for hours with them. And it's like, it's almost like, can someone sit in your lap too? You know, we need another spot. And I'm just going to tell you, that's, that's COVID. It's just totally, uh, who knows what to say about it. My COVID experiences, I don't know if you know me. And if you haven't ever heard me, uh, you wouldn't know. About seven and a half years ago, my wife passed away from battling cancer. Um, she's, she, was very, she looked 20 years younger than me, even on her deathbed. I mean, she was just a young-looking person, very vivacious. Um, and then it was, it was kind of a, a wild thing. But seven and a half years ago, well, um, January the 11th of this year, I got married again. And uh, come on, y'all. So... Um, and um, so it was my dad's 96th birthday, so I have a little ways to go. By the way, I didn't say this earlier, but both my wife and I both have 96-year-old dads who drive, okay? That's why uh, car insurance is so expensive in Louisiana, okay? Well, we really do. My dad uh, was, is 90, uh, 96. I've got a picture of my wife and my dad up there if you look real close. That's my dad on the right in case you're wondering, 
Um, and that's Angelina. You really can't tell how pretty she is. She's an amazing girl. I did not know that at 65 years old, getting married again, how this was going to be. And uh, I'm not getting in the weeds here. I'm just going to say that it's, uh, you know, how, how you bring baggage into no matter what. Even if you had a good marriage before, you bring baggage in. How are you going to relate to each other? Can I just tell you, if you do it right, God can be in the middle of it and it can be heaven. It has been like I have never not wanted to point my car toward home. I've just had, we've had a wonderful time. She's in Idaho visiting her son in school right now. But, uh, or else she'd be here with me now. But we were planning to, like, she lived in Louisiana and I lived here. So we, we planned on, let's move her back here and for two months, after, you know, January 11th, two months, then let's go on a honeymoon. Uh, guess what happened? Something a little called COVID, all right? So we couldn't go anywhere. I had two kids that live in New York City, couldn't go see them, couldn't do anything. So we're stuck at home and we're still getting along. Come on, somebody. All right. And um, you were talking about uh, all this time, we're talking about the life of, of Christ, the life of Jesus, our Savior. We're going to talk about him throughout the beginning, uh, through the end of the year. And um, I want to mention a word that that you as a Christian may not like very much. It's the word theology. You go, oh, no, not theology. But uh, I want to give you a statement that symbolizes what the uh, essence, I, I studied a little bit of theology in college. The essence of New Testament theology, really, really complicated. Let me tell you, here's the statement. This is what they said. Here is the basis of all New Testament theology, and it is this, that God sent his son to earth to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That is the whole entire gospel right there. God sent his son to this earth to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. If that's theology, can I just tell you, I want some more of it. That's pretty good. I want more of it. So today what I want to do, I'm going to spend a few minutes looking at one of the miracles of Jesus, and it's the story of Jesus healing the leper. Uh, and it's, it's a very important story. It appears in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the, the, what we call the synoptic Gospels. And if, it, if a story appears several times, then I think it's, it's important. God uh, let it, he allowed it to be in the scripture that way so that we'd pay more attention to it. And uh, it's more than just the story of a miracle. A lot of times we, we read the Bible, get to a miracle, and go, okay, he healed the guy, check mark, next story. Well, there's way more in this story than just the fact that he healed a man, let's move on. And uh, it has many implications. And so I just want to, uh, the backdrop is that in this time in the life of Christ, there was a lot of political unrest. You know, not like today when uh, there is no political unrest, that there's just a total peace in politics right now. All right, nothing. Uh, back then, there was unrest. And so they wanted Jesus to solve the problem. Uh, there was a lot of religious uh, confusion. Uh, there was racial tension, and women were treated poorly. Anybody can relate to how the world is back then. And I want to just say that one-third of the ministry of Jesus uh, had to do with mercy and grace. A lot of it was teaching, a lot of it was uh, the other part, but a third of it was that, it was, which means healings, taking care of the poor, um, 
miracles, things that were, were benevolent and helped people along the way. And so what I want to do today is to, to know about the mercy of Christ. I want you to be able to say, I think it's a lot of times uh, we lose sight of the fact that we receive a lot of mercy in this world. And I want you to realize the mercy that you receive, because sometimes being reminded of that can be so good, and also the mercy that we can give to others. As a matter of fact, between services, I got a text message from our online campus that after hearing Pastor Rick do this very message, someone decided, they wrote it on the, uh, the online response, that I want to give mercy to my brother who hurt me and this message helped me to reach out to him. And, and I, I'm just telling you, that, that's amazing. That's mercy right there. So mercy basically means not getting what you deserve, but getting in a good way what you don't deserve. How many of you want some mercy if that's what it means? Come on. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. If you have a Bible or a phone, uh, Mark 1, 40. And it says, now a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling down to him and saying to him, okay, a leper did this. He says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus, it says, moved with compassion. Some translations go as far to say he was moved to the depths of his beings. One even said he was indignant that the guy would ask him if you're willing. He goes, what if I'm willing? One translation says it like that. Jesus replied, if I'm willing, of course I'm willing. And then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned the leper, warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. Have you ever seen somebody like win the lottery? It's like the best thing that could happen. And I know nobody here does lottery cards or anything like that or would, would ever think of that. But if you do, please tithe, okay? Um, you, get, you win the lottery, but you don't want to tell anybody because of what could happen with all your friends showing up that you never knew. Well, I knew somebody who, who wanted to date this girl, and she goes, I'll date you, but I don't want you to tell anybody. Now, I'm not saying that that person was me, okay? Uh, but it was a friend of mine, and uh, I know the guy really well, okay? But he told the guy, don't tell a soul. But go your way and show yourself to the priest. That's what he said to the, the leper. However, he went out anyway and he began to proclaim it freely and began to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly even enter the city. Jesus had to go outside in deserted places and hide, but people still came to him from every direction. How powerful is that? Come on. Leprosy. I want to talk about leprosy. Leprosy is not very common in our day. But back in Jesus' day, it was very prevalent. It was widespread and there was no cure. Leprosy would destroy three different things. And first, it would kill your soul. You know what your soul in the Bible is? It's your mind, it's your will, and it's your emotions. It would kill the soul 
they, they couldn't be touched by anybody. If somebody touched a leper, then do you realize that they were also diseased themselves and had to be treated like it was, it was against the law to even touch a leper? What did we just read? Talk about social distancing, huh? 50 feet is what they said. But the problem is, and this was even worse, that leprosy was considered to be an outward sign of an, in, of an inward failure. Imagine if you had a disease and somebody, everybody thought about you, hey, you have that disease because you have sin in your life. How would you like that one? It was very contagious, and people believed that a leper was cursed and judged by God. Go back and think about what we just read. So leprosy was the sign of moral failure. In Leviticus 13, it says, The leper, they must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, and cover the lower part of his face. I don't know about you, but that sounds like right now. Torn jeans, hair that's not made up, and a mask. Come on. This sounds like 2020 to me. But then they would have to go around, and, and if they got within 50 feet of somebody, they had to yell, unclean, unclean. The leper colony, the, the last leper colony in the United States was in a place called Convent, Louisiana. It was uh, about 45 minutes from where I lived. I had employees that, uh, that lived in Convent, and they would tell me of stories. They were older than I was, and they would tell me of stories of, of people that they knew and how gross this thing really was because they, they, they just knew of, they were right there in front of it. And uh, even recently, even yesterday, in Louisiana, I heard of a major catastrophe that happened. Uh, and I just want you to see it right here. Okay? All right. I'm an LSU fan. Come on, somebody. <laughs> hey, and who thought the, the hogs got robbed yesterday too, right? Come on. Wake up on that one. Like I said, it kills the soul first. But imagine this, the leper. They said that the disease would take 20 to 30 years at times to kill you. Imagine five years, 10 years, 20 years without ever being touched by another human being. Can you imagine what that would do to the, uh, to the inside of a person? I mean, the, the psychologists say that it takes eight hugs a day just to be mentally healthy. Now, Angelina, my wife, she's half Colombian, and I get hugged eight times a day. I'll just tell you that right now. So I just want to say publicly that I am mentally healthy. Right, James? Mostly, mostly right. I'm mostly mentally healthy. I got proof. But um, not only did leprosy kill the mind and emotions, but it killed the body um, it, it eroded your body, uh, your skin would get discolored, you would uh, have ulcers, you would lose feeling in your, your nerves. Um, as a matter of fact, it was so bad that you could be, you would lose feeling, you could be cooking something and your hand would be on fire and you wouldn't even know it. They would say that, this is gross, okay, I'm sorry, but your fingers would fall because you just wouldn't know. Your ears, your, 
It was very disfiguring what would happen. In Leviticus 13, it says, as long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. And there was a statement that people believed that a leper was a walking dead man. And the last thing is that it caused spiritual separation. You couldn't publicly worship if you wanted to. You couldn't give sacrifices or offerings because lepers were banished from the temple unless there was a documented healing. And um, so the worst, I don't know if you have come in here sometimes and maybe you're new here or maybe your past is that you were rejected by a church at some point in your life. It happens. You get judgmental pastors. Hopefully we're not that way. We might make a mistake and say something uh, that hurts somebody's feelings sometime. And, and if it's brought to our attention, we're going to apologize. I promise you that. But there's no way that somebody walks through this door and they're rejected by us. Because God does not reject us. They reject God but God doesn't reject us. And I'm just going to tell you the worst pain that a person has is when a church or the place that they want to worship rejects them because inside they feel like God even rejected them. And so leprosy destroyed that part of that man's soul as well. And it's like I mentioned before, it was like a public showing of a private sin. I have a friend who, uh, who deals with a lot of shame you ever known somebody who just, they made a mistake in their life? Well, this guy made a pretty big mistake in his life. And some people get over it, but this guy just hadn't been able to get over it. When he talks to you, just one of two things. He'll either just like be really sad, kind of, he won't look you in the eye, and he'll look at his feet and talk to you, mumble, and you think, God, the guy's really feeling a lot of shame. Or if he's not doing that, then he's going to criticize other people and just really lash out at other people because that's the only way he can feel better until ultimately because he's a friend of mine will say, I'm sorry, I'm just doing that because of what's inside of me. That is what happens with leprosy. The leper felt shame but still came to Jesus in a public place and I think that is the, the start of this whole thing. Matthew's gospel says this, eight, Matthew 8, 1, it says, when he had come down from the mountain, same verse 1, great multitudes followed Jesus, and behold, a leper came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Matthew is the only gospel that uses the word worship. And here's the thing. He worshiped in the midst of, of the most excruciating pain in his body, in his emotions, and in his spirit. And he still knelt down and worshiped God in the midst of his pain. Everything about him, his nerves, his bones, his body, his emotions told him, no, 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 you can't worship. But his spirit was still alive enough to worship Joel Stockstill, he's the son of one of our overseers for New Life, and I've known him for a long time. He's had kidney failure for decades. 
And he's always had to go through dialysis. He's had kidney transplants that didn't work. And it's just really, he's, he's been through a lot. But he says this, he goes, the deepest worship happens when you're in your pain. Because all the periphery gets moved out the way and what's really there comes out. My wife, when she was in her last days, it was the last day before she went to the hospital for the last time, some of the staff of New Life, maybe 100 people, surrounded our house. James and Cody were there. And my wife had lost 20-something pounds. She wasn't big to begin with, but she was under 100 pounds. Gets out in her robe. They'd put up a microphone. And she goes and she goes, my heart is full. I remember this. She goes, cancer has ravaged my body, but it has not touched my spirit. That's worship. To give God what is his in a moment like that. That's why Hebrews 13, 15 says that it's called a sacrifice of praise. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise. I want to just tell you three quick things. I'm going to take about five more minutes, okay, to tell you this that we learn about Jesus in this story. And this is where the rubber hits the road and how it affects you when you read about a leper approaching Jesus. And number one is that Jesus looked beyond the disease and saw the man's faith. You think, faith? He's a leper. He was desperate. He got down before Jesus and all he did was, Lord, if you're willing. No, you know what he said? If you read it carefully. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me whole. You can. And I'm going to tell you that that's what Jesus wants from us. No matter what state we're in, to look him in the eye and to say, you can do it. That is why he loved the centurion. He says, no greater faith have I found in all of, even in Israel. This is a Roman. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. That's what he likes. Lord, I'm in a mess. But you can do it. You can take wherever I am and fix it. That man broke the 50-foot rule. He didn't yell unclean. Why? Because he believed Jesus would and could heal him. Here's the question I want to ask. How bold will you get to tell Jesus that he can fix that thing in your life? The second thing is that Jesus crossed major, major barriers. The man crossed a lot of barriers, but Jesus also crossed many barriers. We just read about them. I mean, we read that in the, in the Gospels that Jesus was accused many times of breaking the, the uh, Mosaic law. Oh, he healed somebody on a Sabbath. He ate the showbread. He did this. Well... This was way worse than anything he'd ever done, been accused of before. He touched a leper. Now, what does that say? There was nothing more serious than that. And this is what it means. He's going to break every boundary and do whatever it takes to get close to you in whatever condition you need him to get close to you. That's Jesus. 
pastor talked to Marcus Brown this morning. He goes, it's, the gospel is that, that Jesus became unclean so that that man would become clean. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He became dirty so that we could become clean. How far will he go? And listen to this, listen to this theology again. God sent his son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And the last thing is that that Jesus restored him in every respect. And what do I mean by that? He told the man, go show yourself to the priest. That wasn't just to check a box. That was to let the man get back into society to be touched again, to be emotionally well again, to have a social life, maybe even an occupational life to give him purpose in his life again. You know, there's some things that bind us up that we think we can never get over. I know a father whose kids hated him, hated him, because he would yell at his mother with really loud profanities in front of the kids. If you're doing that in this room, please don't. Let, let, him, let him help you. But what he did was he got, he got slowly but surely submitted to God in this way. And they stopped that slowly but surely. That family's back together. The kids love the dad. You know, my leprosy was an anger too. I remember... I was always like, I would raise my voice at home. Rah! This is when I was younger. And I remember taking our family to Disney. Okay, and I was like, I'm going to do something really special. I'm going to take my six-year-old on the backstage tour at MGM. Anybody ever been on that? So I took him over there and I said, Jonathan, I got this great thing for you. I'm going to take you on the backstage tour. What is it? Well, they've got fire and explosions and they got water that acts like a flood. I'm not going. I wasn't a good dad. I told him what to expect. Goes, no, 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 you're going. Oh, no, dad, I'm not going. You'd have to know my son. He didn't go. He's 30 years old. He's still like that. And uh, so I, I'm just telling you, he wouldn't go. I got so mad. You're going. Get here. He just, boom. He's a little kid, but he was like not going. So I called my wife. I can't read my eyes. She goes, Bobby. We're at Disney. Take a chill pill. <laughs> Come on. He doesn't want to go. Don't make him go. 20 years later, he got back at me. We're in New Zealand. He goes, Dad, we're going to do one of two things. There's this thing called the Nevis Swing. If you ever want to look at it online, the Nevis Swing. N-E-V-I-S. So it's, you ever been to the state fair where they have those swings and they take you back, it's like 50 feet of rope, you know what I'm talking about? And then they let you go and then you see, the, and it's scary looking, right? This was 430 feet of rope over a canyon. That's a football field in a third. Lift you up, 
drop you off a platform. It takes forever. He goes, you, we can either do that. What's the next choice? He goes, we can go skydiving. I, I said, I'm not going. He goes, oh, yes, you are. He goes, Dad, remember Disney? Okay, I'll go. So I get in this plane, and of all my luck, I get tethered to a German lady. Okay, everybody else gets a man. I get a German lady. And I'm up there going, we're going up 15,000 feet in this little rickety plane with our knees bent. You know, like, she goes, are you nervous, Bob? No, I'm not nervous. And so, so we get going up. She goes, and she pats me on the shoulder. She goes, listen, Bob, don't worry. Where you go, I go. And do you know that somehow knowing that she would die if I died, it worked. All right, let's go. I don't know why. I must be like some weird person, but it, it worked for me. Some pain seems like it's going to last forever. Seven and a half years ago when I lost my wife, I thought that pain would never go away. I looked around this house that we lived in. What do I do? I'm the only, my son left a few months later to go to college. I'm living in this massive house by myself. Spider, me and the spider webs in the corners. Do I sell things? Do I give them away? Do I sell the house? What about our clothes? What am I supposed to do? I don't like making coffee in the morning by myself. I mean, trust me. If you ever been through that, you know what I'm talking about. You think that pain is never going to go away. When Angelina came into my life, she did not take the place of, of Jill. She's not my Jill replacement. She is herself. She is what God has given me for this time in my life, and it's the number one thing that he has for me. And it restores much of my life. Can I just tell you something? This is what I've learned. Until you get well from whatever it is, you don't remember how sick you were. If, you, if you're sick, you know you're hurting. But when you get really well and you look back, you think, I was really and I believe in this room, there are people that are hungering to get well. You might have come into this room thinking, I never thought God could touch anything. He touched a leper. Thank God that story's in the Bible. You don't have anything worse than leprosy, okay? You might be new to this church thinking, I don't even know about Jesus. Well, guess what? Your life there's many things you can't do for yourself except hand your life over to him and you can be well. And is there anybody ready to bow their head and let's just pray right now? Would you please bow your head with me? Lord, I just pray you would examine our heart. I think after the words that I've spoken, people are thinking that one area of their life that, you, that, they, that they just kind of wonder, can you really do it? Can you really heal that? Can you really change that in me? you are willing, Lord, you can do it. Say that under your breath. Lord, if you are willing, you can do it. You can heal me. You can change me. 
You can remove shame. I give my life to you. And even if I've made the mistakes, you can forgive me. And you can restore me. You can do all things. You came to do what I could not do for myself. And for that, I love you. Thank you for being here with me today. In the name of Jesus Christ.